Well, brother, many of you know, um, I have been away this week uh, attending business in Texas for International Reformed Baptist Seminary, um, but also we had a wedding here yesterday. I was privileged to officiate to see Brandon and Bethany sent off. Uh, so our brother Cody Eds, our gifted brother, uh, who's just about ready to graduate from Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in two weeks. Our gifted brother will be bringing the word of the gospel to us this morning. So let us receive his preaching ministry to us. Please come. Let's continue our worship this morning through the preaching of God's word. We're going to be continuing our series uh, in the Psalms of Ascents. This morning we are looking at Psalm 130, Psalm 130. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your church, we have gathered here this morning to receive the benefits of Your grace through the means of Your grace. You have promised in Your Word to use the preaching of Your Word to build the church, to strengthen our faith, to sanctify us and grow us in holiness. And so God, we ask this morning that You would use the Word mightily. Lord, as an oracle of God, as Christ Himself preaching to us, that You would move in our midst this morning to convict us through Your Word. To bring us to confession and an honest assessment of our sin. But Lord, also to comfort us. Lord, to renew in us a remembrance of your mercy and your grace for us in Christ alone. Oh, comfort us this morning as we cry to you from the depths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we've seen in Pastor Nathan's sermons through these two Beatitudes, these two Beatitudes highlight the tension of the Christian life. Today you are poor in spirit, yet the kingdom of heaven is yours. Today you, you mourn over your sin, but you're blessed and you await comfort. You see the tension here between these first two Beatitudes. Right? Something is true of you already. Right? You're redeemed. 
you're blessed, but something is not true of you yet. You're still a sinner. This tension is what theologians have often called the already not yet. Already saved, but not yet free from the presence of sin. Already blessed in Christ, but mourning sin and awaiting the comfort of glory. This is also the tension that we see in our psalm today. If you look in verse 4, he says, there is forgiveness. But then in verse 5, I wait on the Lord. In verse 7, he says there is redemption. But then in verse 8, he says he will redeem Israel. The pious Israelites looked forward to the day of Christ, right? To the promises of Christ's coming. And by faith in that promise, they received forgiveness. Yet they still longed for the Messiah to come. This psalm gives us a picture then of what it means to be poor in spirit. To mourn our sin and yet to be blessed. To be in the depths, yet to hope in the Lord. This is a fitting psalm then for us to consider this morning as Pastor Nathan continues preaching through the Beatitudes. What Pastor Nathan, what we see in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, is a truth that we see throughout all of Scripture. Because all of Scripture is written for us today. But not only does this psalm give us a picture of the first two Beatitudes, right, by highlighting this already not yet tension that we all feel between the first and second coming of Christ, it also teaches us how to live between those comings of Christ. It teaches us how to live as both blessed yet poor. Every Christian in this room is a sinner in desperate need of God's mercy because we are not yet saved from the presence of sin. And so we continue to need his mercy. Yet every Christian in this room, if you have faith in Christ, you are righteous and justified. Your sins are forgiven because you are already united to Christ. You're blessed yet poor. You're in the depths, yet hopeful. We all, as Christians, are sinner saints. That is one word, sinner saints. How then are we to live as sinner saints, already saved and yet awaiting salvation? Well, this psalm teaches us that in this time of already not yet tension and waiting, we must live in constant dependence upon the mercy of God as sinners, while taking comfort knowing that he calls us saints in Christ. How do we do this? Uh, Four points today, and they each follow the short little stanzas in this psalm, broken up by each two verses. We live in dependence upon God by crying out to God, by confessing to God our sins and his mercy, by having confidence in God, and finally by taking comfort in God. So to live in constant dependence upon God as a sinner saint begins with crying out to him. This brings us to our first point this morning, the cry of the sinner saint. The cry of the sinner saint. This is in verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you. O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This psalm starts in the depths. The the deep, the depths, right, throughout 
all of the Old Testament was a, a symbol, an image, a picture of the sea, the ocean, the, the chaotic waters, right? Just dark chaos. No light pierces into these waters. They are just heavy, dark chaos. That is where this psalm begins. Have you ever felt this way? You, you ever feel that you're just crushed and, as, as Peter says, grieved by various trials to the point that, that there seems to be no hope, that no light is reaching down here, and that maybe even your prayers are not reaching up to heaven? Does God hear us in the depths, in the deep? Well, notice this psalm doesn't just start in the depths, it's a cry from the depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. The psalmist here acknowledges that he's in the deep. He's in the depths. Couldn't get any worse. It couldn't get any more hopeless. Yet, he knows that the Lord will hear him. Is the depth a place where there is no hope? No. Here in the depths, he cries to God, calls out to God. Charles Spurgeon says, the depths usually silence all they engulf. Think about it. You put your head underwater, right? And you can't hear anything, right? Now imagine you're hundreds of feet, hundreds of feet down. The depths usually silence all they engulf, but they could not close the mouth of this servant and they could not close the ears of the Lord. They could not close the ears of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is nowhere, there is no suffering in which the Lord does not hear you. And so do not let there be a depth from which you do not cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears us in the deepest depths of suffering. The psalmist knew this. But notice, what does the psalmist plead for? What does, he, what does he call out to God for? Hear, be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is a, a word uh, in the Hebrew that is tied throughout the Old Testament to the sacrificial system, to the favor of God shown through forgiveness. The psalmist is recognizing here, he he understands here, that the true deep that he's in, the true suffering, the place where there, there seems to be no hope, there seems to be no light, this place is his sin. Just as we saw in the Beatitudes, what does it mean for us to be poor in spirit? It means that we are poor spiritually. What does it mean for us to mourn, but to mourn our sin? And so ultimately, the psalmist doesn't call out here for God to rescue him from earthly trials or even earthly adversaries. There's an adversary in this psalm, in verse 3, and it's God marking iniquities. That's the adversary here in this psalm. Brothers and sisters, if any of your sins are counted by God, you cannot stand before him. Your sins remain your deepest, darkest suffering. You remain then a sinner in need of mercy until Christ comes again. And so the the only response, the only response to the depth of our sins is not self-help. 
That's not what the psalmist does here. Does he just like muster up and I can do this? No. He calls out to the Lord for mercy. The only response to the depth of our sin is to mourn our poverty and call out to the Lord to plead for his mercy. You know, there are two temptations that we see in the Christian life, given uh, this, this tension of the already not yet, already being forgiven, but not yet removed from the presence of sin. Two temptations that we often face between the first and second coming of Christ. First, we're often tempted to not really see the depth of our sinful nature and the poverty of our sin. You know, we, we could say, oh, well, those believers out there, those, those people out there, that's who really need the mercy of God. Right? Oh, I don't do those terrible things that they do. And so we measure our sin according to individual actions, right? We measure those and then compare those individual actions to the worst people we can think of. We forget the depth of our sinful nature. So we just think, I just need to try harder. I just need to get my act together. You are not someone who sins. You are a sinner with a sinful nature that you cannot remove. On your own power and strength, you can do nothing. You are entirely dependent upon the mercy of God. And so you are ever in need of calling out, crying out as this psalmist does, for his mercy. Secondly, we are often tempted to be overwhelmed with our sinful nature, right? This is kind of the other side of that quarter there. Is your sinful nature the greatest depth that you will face? The darkest, seemingly most hopeless thing you will face? Absolutely. But is there no hope? No. Christian, not only must you continue to call out to God for His mercy, but He continues in Christ to give it. He continues to hear us. Jay Bridges famously said, your worst days, he's speaking to Christians, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. The depth from which you call to God is your sinful nature. That is the depth from which we cry. And from that depth, even from that deep darkness, He hears us. God hears His people. And so this psalm teaches us that in this time of, of already, not yet, waiting and tension that we, that we all feel and struggle with, we must call out to God for forgiveness as sinners and take comfort that He hears us as His beloved saints. That is how we live in dependence upon God. We live crying out to Him as sinner saints. Not only must we call out to God for forgiveness, but another way in which we live in dependence upon Him is expressing that dependence by confessing. Confessing both our sins and His grace. And this leads us to our second point this morning. So we've seen the cry of the sinner saint. Here we see the confession of the sinner saint. We see this in verse 3 and 4. We'll look at verse 3 first. 
If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Augustine, church father, he says, this here we see why he's crying out. He is confessing to God his inability to stand before God if he marks iniquity, if he counts any of the sins of the psalmist, he knows he cannot stand before God. This is the problem of all of humanity. All fallen men. The problem is, God does count sin. He does. He does mark iniquities. He does keep a record and He judges sin. And there is a judgment day coming. And so nobody, nobody can stand before Him. Think about our law passage this morning, right? This here is the God who set the mountain ablaze. And no one could even approach the mountain. Lest God break out against you? That's terrifying. Lest God break out against you? This is the holy God who marks and counts sins against man. All sins. Because God is holy. He is perfect. He is infinite in righteousness and justice. And He has made man in His image to worship Him. Even the smallest of your sins. Even your smallest sins, if they were counted, you could not stand. R.C. Sproul says, Every sin, every sin is an act of cosmic treason. Every sin is an act of cosmic treason. A futile attempt to dethrone God in His sovereign authority. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything. To the one who has given us life itself. Psalmist understood this. And so he confessed before God, if you count any of my iniquities, I cannot stand. But notice he also confesses the mercy of God. In verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You know, the inability of man to stand before God is not merely because man is sinful. It is ultimately because God is holy in and of Himself. And here's the turn. But with you is forgiveness. Holiness and and mercy are not parts of God, right? That He has to, okay, now I'm going to be merciful and and He brings that attribute into Himself. No, His attributes are one with His being. This is the doctrine often called simplicity, that God is one, He's not made up of parts. And so holiness and and mercy are not just simply parts of Him. They are one with His very nature. And so what this means is that there is nothing that you can do to merit standing before Him because He's holy. But there's also nothing you as a Christian can do to lose what is His by nature, which is merciful. John Calvin says, the very fact that you are God, the very fact that you are God is to me a sure guarantee that you will be merciful. That is our guarantee of the mercy of God. With you is forgiveness. There is forgiveness with God. Not because man earns it or or can merit it, but because God is merciful. 
Brothers and sisters, if you have faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are righteous in Christ because God is merciful. And out of that mercy, out of that love for you, He sent forth His Son to take on human flesh and as a human who, who perfectly obeyed the laws of God, who died in your place and was raised to a new life. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Jesus Christ can stand. Jesus Christ can stand. As the perfect spotless Lamb who was slain, and He does stand before the Father in your place. God does not count your sins against you. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you have faith in Christ alone, God counts your sins to Christ on the cross. And more than that, He counts Christ's holiness to you today. 2 Corinthians, right? 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Or or Colossians uh, 1.21-22 right? You were alienated and hostile in mind, but now He has reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. The only record that God keeps against you is the perfect record of Christ, if you have faith this morning. This is our confession, that that only in Christ can we stand. You are simultaneously sinful yet justified. Simultaneously sinner and saint, this is the already portion of your salvation. You are already justified and made right with God. That should be obvious at this point why this verse ends so that you may be feared in verse 4. As one who is a sinner, right, with a sinful nature, and yet by faith in Christ alone is called a saint, a beloved saint by God is one sitting here today knowing that you're a sinner and yet your sins are forgiven. What more do you want to do? Do you, do you, do you not want to respond to this, to this amazing love and mercy of God with love and adoration, with fear that is reverence for Him, obedience to His Word? The psalmist doesn't say here, nobody can stand before God. If he marks iniquities, therefore flee iniquities. That is not the pattern set before us this morning. Instead, the psalmist says, nobody can stand before the Father if he marks iniquities, therefore forgiveness. And it is this forgiveness that leads to the fleeing of iniquities, the fear of the Lord. Do not hear this morning, God is holy, you must be holy So, be holy. That is not what this psalm says here. The confession of the Christian is not just our sinfulness, but also the mercy of God. And you know, many of us want to hear that here this morning, right? Just tell me what to do. Just just give me something to do so that I can earn my place before God. But no. 
you're a Christian here this morning, not simply a saint in need of doing better, you remain a sinner in need of a substitute. And so this psalm says there is a substitute. Someone does stand there on your behalf. Therefore, love, fear, obey, follow the Lord. The confession of the Christian between the first and second coming of Christ is our sinful nature. But it is also the mercy of God which leads to obedience and the fear of the Lord. This psalm teaches us then, in this tension of already not yet, that we never move on from confessing our sins to God. We never move on from confessing our sins to God or confessing His mercies to us in Christ. This is how we live in dependence upon God and take comfort as saints in Christ. Well, so far we've really focused on the already aspect of our salvation. Right? You're already sinful, and so we cry to God, and we are already forgiven and justified in Christ. But what about the not yet? How do we live today in light of who we already are, but also in light of who we are yet to be? This brings us to our third point this morning. The confidence of the sinner saint. The confidence of the sinner saint. We see this in verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. God's people have always been awaiting people. So here, having called out for the mercy of God, the psalmist knows that the Lord has heard him and will be merciful. And so he says, I wait. I wait for the Lord to answer my cries. He even says his soul waits, right? Everything that I am waits for the Lord. He says he waits twice in verse 5, once in verse 6. And he he even repeats how he's a watchman waiting for morning there in verse 6. He repeats that twice. Do not miss the importance of this repetition. Waiting is a defining mark of this psalm and a defining mark of the Christian life. But notice, this isn't an uncertain waiting. Okay? These two verses do not communicate doubt, but confidence. We see this in this little phrase in verse 5. In His Word, I hope. The psalmist knows that the Lord will be merciful to him because in His Word, the Lord has promised to be merciful. This is why he waits, he says, like watchmen for the morning. Uh, Watchmen were were stationed uh, along the city walls uh, overnight to ensure that no enemies would come and attack the city of Jerusalem. They never knew if enemies would attack. They never knew, if they did, where they would come from, when they would come, how they would attack. But they did know that morning was coming. It was certain. Its time was determined by God. So the psalmist says, in the very same way, he awaits the Lord to be merciful. Because in his word, he has promised to be merciful. That's the the confidence of this psalmist. 
Now up to this point, you, you've probably been agreeing with the psalmist, right? I know that I'm, I'm sinful. Uh, I know that I'm in the depths of my sin. I am poor in spirit. Yes, I know that if, if God were to mark any of my sins, that I could not stand before him. Are you confident that he is merciful to you today? Are you confident that he will be merciful to you on judgment day? Or is your waiting for the Lord not a confident hope, but a, a fearful doubt because of your sin? And this is the hardest part of this already not yet tension. This is the hardest part of, of our life between the first and second coming of Christ. If you have faith in Christ, your sins are already forgiven, but you've not yet been removed from their presence. And so often the, the not yet makes us even doubt the already. Our hope, our confidence in God is stripped by sin. The psalmist doesn't say here, in my works, I hope. Right? In my successes, I hope. In fact, the word he hopes in is, is most likely the promise of the coming Messiah. This is a promise fulfilled for you today. Morning has come for you. But aren't we still waiting? Don't we feel that? Just the weight of waiting? How do we wait for the second coming of Christ in light of the first? Well, again, we wait as sinner saints, hoping not in our works, knowing that our sins are many, but hoping in the Word of God, knowing that with confidence He has promised to call us home, whom He now calls beloved. He will call us home. In this life, you are, you are going to face deep, deep, dark suffering. You may be facing that today, even this Mother's Day morning. Is your suffering causing you to wait impatiently? To wait impatiently on God? To doubt whether or not He has mercy on you today or, or to doubt if He will ever even return to make things right? Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, hear me. No matter what you face today, no matter what you're going through, no matter how deep and dark the depth that you are in, your sins are forgiven. You are righteous in Christ. And the deep, dark wrath of God is a suffering that you will not face you do not have to wait for judgment day because it has already come in Christ on the cross. That's your deepest, darkest, right? Like that's the worst thing you can face is the judgment of God. No matter what you go through, this perspective, the worst thing you can go through is the wrath and judgment of God. And Christ has taken that for you. All of your sins are forgiven and covered in the blood of Christ. In this time of already not yet tension, in this time of waiting the second coming of Christ, given the first, wait patiently 
and with confidence and put your hope not in how strong you are through your sufferings, not in how good you are on your best days, not in your worst days either. Put your hope in the Word of God alone in which He has promised to be merciful to you today and on that day when He comes again. In fact, here is the Word. Okay? We, we as Christians hope in the Word of God and that is our confidence. Here is your confident hope. John 14, 1-3. Spoken by your Savior. Knowing that He is about to leave and all of His saints will be waiting. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Here's your promise. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The psalm teaches us that in this time of already not yet waiting, let not your hearts be troubled. Wait confidently and have confident hope in God alone who calls us saints because He has promised to come again for sinners like you and me. That is our confidence. That is our hope. How do we live in constant dependence upon God as sinner saints? We call to Him for mercy. We confess our sins. We confess His mercy. We we wait with confidence for His coming. And finally, we take comfort in God. That's right, four C's. I am a Baptist. Our fourth point this morning, the comfort of the sinner saint. Look at me at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For in the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. So the hope that the psalmist has, right, that we just saw right, in the previous two verses, he now calls Israel to adopt. Hope in the Lord. How is it that with all of their sin, all of their doubts, all of their waiting, how can they have hope? Well, one thing, uh, if you'll notice, uh, in, in Hebrew language, uh, in the Old Testament, repetition is often very, very important. Um, in each of these stanzas, the name of the Lord is repeated twice in all of them. Uh, you'll see in uh, verse 1, um, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. If you have the ESV, um, you'll notice too that in each of these stanzas, the Lord is done differently. One is capitalized and one is not. So throughout the psalm, in each stanza, the Lord's name is repeated twice. Yahweh, the covenant name, Adonai. Right? Master, Lord, God. But here, in verses 7 and 8, it's repeated, but it's Yahweh both times. The psalmist is saying, have hope in your covenant-making God. Yahweh. The God who appeared on Mount Sinai. Have hope in that God. 
For in the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Notice every verse, uh, every verb in this verse is present tense, right? While, while Israel is awaiting the Messiah that they've hoped for, they right now have comfort because right now there is steadfast love and redemption with the Lord. Notice again, we're back to the character of God. Right? We've seen that God is holy and God is merciful in and of himself. And so the psalmist can call out to God because of who God is in and of himself. But here too, we see that the psalmist takes comfort in the same truth. God's love is steadfast and unchanging because it is one with his being. And he is steadfast and unchanging. In the Lord, he says, in the Lord is steadfast love. And it is out of this steadfast love that redemption flows. I love that it's plentiful redemption. Isn't that great? Plentiful redemption. Not a little redemption. Not sometimes redemption. Not shaky redemption that you can cause to to be removed. No, it is plentiful, overflowing redemption. But again, this is a present reality. There is plentiful redemption with the Lord. Christ hasn't come yet for the Israelites. Spurgeon, he says, their redemption is already wrought out and laid up with him so that he can at any time give his waiting ones the full benefit thereof. That is their comfort. Not simply that redemption is coming, but that it is already with the Lord. And it is plentiful. We actually see a picture of this plentiful redemption in verse 8. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice too, now we've, we've turned to the future. We're future tense. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So the Israelites have hope now, right? They have comfort now with God because with God is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And therefore, in the promised future, they know that plentiful redemption will come from all of his iniquities, from all of his iniquities. That is their comfort. And brothers and sisters, this is our comfort as well. This is the comfort of the already not yet tension that we all feel today. What God right now declares you to be by faith in Christ, right? A saint of plentiful redemption, righteous in Christ. One day you will be by sight. Because your redemption on that day is already present with God by faith. Paul even quotes this uh, psalm in Titus 2. 14. Titus 2.14, Paul says that we, Christians, are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. If you are a Christian here this morning, if you have faith in God, all of your sins All of them are forgiven. And so that is your already. And what you await 
is not some final judgment declaration that has already taken place. What you await is the appearing of that reality. Today you are called sinless, just as the psalmist says today there is redemption. But on that day you will be sinless. You will be. The certainty that one day you will stand before God as blameless, removed from the presence of sin, is that today you stand blameless before God, removed from its condemnation in Christ. That is our comfort today. That is the comfort of the sinner saint. Because the redemption to come, according to this psalm, is already present. Now you may be saying, that's impossible. You don't know me. You don't know my sin. You don't know what I've done. There's no way that, that I could be blameless before God today. There's no way that I could be blameless on Judgment Day. You're right. I may not know your sins. But if you are a Christian here this morning, I know your Savior. And He has promised to forgive all of your sins and to come again. I know your Savior and I know that Judgment Day has already come. It has already come on the cross where your sins were nailed and left there. If you have faith in Christ this morning, there is not a single sin that is left unforgiven. Not a single iniquity that is left apart from the blood of Christ. And you may not see that right now, but plentiful redemption is coming and is already with the Lord. They awaited the first coming of Christ on the certainty of His promise. We await the second on the certainty of His first. That is our comfort today. For the Christian, just as the psalmist here, what is future and not yet is already and present by faith. Again, Spurgeon, their redemption is already wrought out and laid up with Him so that He can at any time give His waiting ones the full benefit thereof. That time is coming. Your suffering may tell you it is not. Your sins may tell you it is not. That time is coming. And you will be sinless forever. And until then, you are declared sinless in Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, if you have faith in Christ, this psalm teaches us that in this time, as Christians between the already and not yet, we have comfort. We have comfort as sinners who are called saints by Christ and who will one day see that to be true. That is how we live in dependence upon God today. That is how we live as those who are poor in spirit and who mourn yet are blessed. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are a sinner. Christ does not stand in your place. You cannot stand before God. But Christ does 
Stand in your place. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. We must never move on from the gospel. By the mercy of God and the steadfast love of God, God counts your sins to Christ on the cross and His righteousness to you by faith in Christ alone and calls you, no matter what you are called today as a sinner, God calls you today a beloved saint in Christ. And one day what He calls you to be today will be true. No more sadness. No more death. No more cancer. No more waiting. No more waiting. Until then, fear the Lord. It's the call of the psalm. Until then, fear the Lord. Rely on His mercies alone and not your successes. Confess your sins and do not be fooled by your pride. Wait upon the Lord with confidence and obey the word in which you hope. And give your life to loving Him who has loved you so greatly as a sinner, yet a saint. Take comfort. Your sins are forgiven and Christ is coming again. May God grant us patience and may we as a church say with one voice, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, truly, We pray that You would come. Make all things that are wrong right again and call us home to You. Lord, we long for that day. Truly, Lord, this morning, You do. Truly, Lord, You are present with us this morning. Just as You will be on that day. We have a a foretaste of the glory we await. In this already not yet, O God, remind us that what is not yet is so very true right now in Your presence as we worship. Lord, set on display for us at the table the truth that we are covered in Your blood. And remind us again that You are coming again And another meal is awaiting us. That the table is set there in heaven. And our home is already prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.